0: Hello, why do I always do that? (laughs) Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. I hope everyone is very well. I spoke last week about perfectionism and procrastination and that episode got a lot of love and it seemed to resonate with a lot of people so thank you very much for that and I'm glad it was useful and a useful way to think through how you think about certain things. What I wanna talk about today is that that isn't always how perfectionism manifests. It sometimes isn't so much that it holds you back, but that it stops you enjoying the outcome because you're always picking that outcome apart. So for example, does this situation or this sort of thought process sound like you? Would you do something and then if it goes well, immediately move the goalposts so like you achieve I don't know say like you achieve your first five push-ups but then you decide that five push-ups like as soon as you achieve that goal five push-ups is crap I would need to get 10 to be even anywhere near quote-unquote good or I really wanted to lose five pounds and I lost five pounds and I was like I need to lose at least 10 pounds to be anywhere near where I want to be Or I thought I was happy earning X amount of money, but now as soon as I get anywhere near that, I immediately move the goalpost so that I don't celebrate that success. (laughs) I just move to the next thing. It's a way of never allowing yourself to be good enough. Or you do appreciate being able to earn X amount, for example, but you attribute that to luck or you attribute the success to luck as opposed to your hard work or your effort and yet if it didn't go well that's when you choose to internalize it so basically if it does go well it must be due to something else it's complete luck but if it doesn't go well that's on you 100% your fault so if you do really well on a test and you get an A plus you attribute that success to the luck of those questions coming up like it, it definitely wasn't the hours of revision you did and the fact that you know the content really really well and you completely understand it and you've worked hard no no no, no. it was the luck that those questions came up and you're just lucky that you knew them or your business is doing really well but you think that it's just lucky that people want to work with you That's not luck. That's because you're good at what you do. And so people want to work with you. And yet when, you know, something like a global pandemic or lockdown happens and business might drop, for example, you would completely internalise that. That is completely your fault. You should have known that there was going to be a global pandemic and you should have been prepared for it. And it's your fault that your business is suffering. However, when it goes well, that's luck. Like, that has nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with your hard work. But when it's bad, that's all you. Essentially, you're not being fair to yourself. You are internalising your losses, but not internalising your wins. And by doing that, you end up never building confidence. You're being biased towards yourself in a negative way. And you wouldn't say that to a friend. You wouldn't be like, oh, you passed your driving test. That's nice, it's really lucky that there wasn't much traffic on the road and that your instructor really liked you. It's definitely not because you've you know really worked hard on your driving and, and you're good enough to pass. It was probably lucky, the situation you were in. Or they're like, oh, I, I just got an interview for a job. And you're like, oh, that's lucky that probably not many people applied. That's probably why you got the interview. Like That's what you tell yourself. But when you think about saying that to someone else, you're like, that is so ridiculous. You would never even consider saying that to someone else. And a situation I see come up a lot with clients is people who are potentially struggling with binge eating. And they might manage to avoid a binge, even though they, they you know had some urges, they had some of their usual triggers. It had been a really long day at work. They'd argued with their partner and they really felt like just going home and stuffing their face. When they avoid that, oh, that's a one-off fluke. I just kind of managed to do that. I'm not really sure how it happened, but I just, yeah, well, that's what I should be doing anyway. Quote, unquote, should be doing. That's how it should be. So I'm not going to congratulate myself on effectively that achievement, which is a huge achievement if that's something you really struggle with. But then... If you have managed not to binge for months, but you have one little slip up, which is inevitable along a recovery process, one little slip up, no, you're a useless piece of shit. (laughs) Like, that is literally how you speak to yourself. And it's also why people don't develop this confidence in their ability to do what they say they were going to do. So basically, you've told yourself you're not going to binge eat. If you don't internalize the wins, like the times where you feel like binging, but you don't. You never increase your confidence in the fact that you can avoid it when you put your mind to it. And then you're reinforcing your almost identity as a binge eater because the one time in a couple of months that you do slip up, you internalize that and you catastrophize it and you make it seem way worse than it needs to be. And again, it comes back to this perfectionist mindset and the belief that we should be doing absolutely everything exactly right. As in, when we decide we wanna stop binge eating, we should never binge again. Instead of realizing that, oh, okay, if that happens less and less frequently, that's the goal. It's not like a, this is my problem with people who use like my Fitness pal streaks or even people who go teetotal and are like, I've been sober for one year. Okay, well, as soon as you have one sip of wine, you've not been sober for one year. And if you think you've lost a whole year of hard work from sipping one little sip of wine, then immediately the next thing you're going to think of is, I've ruined everything, I may as well drink the whole bottle. Whereas if your mindset was, I want to drink a lot less wine, okay, well, if you have had one sip in a year, no difference whatsoever. If you're looking at the broader scheme of that, so instead of thinking, oh, I've managed not to binge for six months, okay, well, what, are we restarting the clock because you made one tiny slip up? Or are we still going to be able to say by the end of the year, okay, yeah, this year I had two slip ups, but actually two binges in a year, I would say is a, is a pretty good success compared to where I was before. So you can see how that unrealistic perfectionist mindset is holding you back in perfect action, my friend. I'm gonna change tax now slightly because as much as I've spent a lot of time and continue to work against some of my own like perfectionist mindset traits I also think it would be wrong or naive to say that some of those traits haven't helped me to an extent like help me get to where I am today and probably will help me get to where I want to be in the future. So things like perfectionism, ambition, single-mindedness, or you could call it selfishness, I would say have certainly played a part in what's helped me create businesses, do well at university, uh, achieve an impressive physique. Like all of these things, some of these traits are beneficial if managed in the right way. And I think it's important to notice that there are these quote unquote like shadows to traits. And I've spoken a lot about the negatives to, for example, a perfectionist mindset. But there are also positives to it. And if managed in the right way, you can reduce the negative side and increase the positive side if you are self-aware. So it's not necessarily about completely changing yourself. If you're someone who is quite on the spectrum of being a perfectionist, I think you can still get the benefits of that without the drawbacks if you improve your self-awareness. So, for example, I know that what has, in part at least, made me successful in work or business or academia, i.e. being ambitious, being driven, being single-minded, also makes me extremely hard to be in a relationship with and I think James Clear articulates this really well in an article on his website I think it's called Shadow Side and he talks mainly about Picasso in this article so I would recommend going and reading that because it, it it is really good I did not agree with him on all points and I'll sort of explain that during this podcast but it is a really good read so I would go and read that But the shadow side of a trait or the shadow side of success is really what he's talking about is the notion that traits or successes might mean or a certain personality trait might be the reason that you are successful, but it also might be a weakness as well or it might have quote unquote shadows. So basically your biggest strengths can also be your biggest drawbacks. For example, being ambitious to the point that you're hard to be with or the fact that being selfish actually makes you quite a good athlete like the best athletes are quite inherently selfish because they have to be very single-minded they have to be very driven on one thing and a quote from this article is success in one area is often tied to failure in, an, in another area especially at extreme end performance so the more extreme the greatness." the longer the shadow casts. So if we look at a really extreme example, um, perfectionism might make you very good at studying, but on the extreme end also predisposes you to disordered eating or eating disorders if misplaced. That's one example. Another interesting example that this article made me think about is that my grandfather was uh, an author and he also suffered with depression and obviously I would not wish depression on anyone but I'm also willing to bet what made him such a brilliant writer was partly his depression and partly how much he thought about things I know like willing to bet that if he was a very happy-go-lucky man and didn't particularly overthink things he wouldn't be writing books or he wouldn't have written as many books as he did and been as successful as he was. And the example James Clear gives is Picasso who had four wives, I think three or four wives. He cheated on all of them. He had numerous kids with different wives and it was said that his art was what he devoted his time to. So his art was like his primary relationship throughout his, his life And his wives were like hobbies to him. I mean, I don't know if that's a very particularly nice or sensitive way to say that. But whereas most people settle with a partner for life, potentially less so now, but that would be deemed the quote-unquote norm, and then hobbies come and go. So, for example, maybe when you were younger, you liked football, and then you got into CrossFit, and then you started running, but now you're into yoga. Well... Picasso's wives were like Passing hobbies to him And his devotion, lifelong devotion Was to art And this is likely what made him Absolutely awful to be with But also the incredible Artist that he was And James Clear makes the argument that You couldn't have one Without the other And I think this is the point at which I don't fully agree with him I And I see these traits like I'll get on to that in a minute, but you can see these traits in others too. So, for example, my best friend is probably the most outgoing person you'll ever meet. You could leave her in a room with anyone and she will make friends with them. She'll make them feel welcome. It, it is probably my favourite thing about her. So, the reason that I love her so much is also the reason that she sometimes annoys me. Because she will... <laughs> Often turn up late because she's met some random person on the train and is chatting to them, so she's late to meet you. Like, the best thing about them is also potentially what also annoys you about them. Or the reason that you love your partner is because they are so creative. But that's also the reason that you get frustrated at them, because they like to spend a lot of time alone. But the thing is, you can't have one without the other. You have to accept the good with the bad, to an extent. And James Clear ends his article by saying that every strength comes with a trade-off. And as much as I agree that some of your biggest strengths can also be weaknesses, I think this is only true if you let them, like if you let that be a weakness. I don't think that strengths have to come with massive trade-offs. Unless the trade-off is that you have to spend time managing your traits. What I do agree with is that strengths usually come with trade-offs. Because people don't manage them. And that would depend on your values. Like I'm thinking about the Picasso example. Maybe he, you know, his value quite clearly wasn't that he wanted to both have a happy home life... And be very good at art. Like maybe his values were slightly swayed towards the fact he liked dating numerous women at the same time and spending most of his time making art. Like it kind of depends on your values. Whereas you can have the benefits of perfectionism without also the quote unquote shadow of that, which is essentially perfectionism taken too far and taken out of context when you're trying to control things that shouldn't be controlled you can change far more about you than what you think which is why also (laughs) a bit of a tangent but I absolutely hate personality tests and profiling and how big that was I think it's less so now but so many people in the corporate world used to use that as like this is what you are I've pigeonholed you into this you are a red or you are a type a or whatever sort of personality category you're putting people in those are changeable things like I'm willing to bet throughout my life I would get different results on the same personality test if you want to change something even about your personality which we see as fixed that is completely untrue if you decide you want to change something about your personality you absolutely can but it, it will take conscious effort to do so And that's why I think calling yourself a perfectionist, which in my head is quite a fixed thing, like I am this thing. Instead of doing that, it's better to call yourself or to describe yourself as someone who is predisposed to perfectionist type tendencies, because then that's changeable. It's the same as when I tell people that it's better to say that you have some fat rather than you are fat. Like It's not something that you are. You don't need to identify as the amount of energy you are storing. You simply have that amount of energy. And that is a changeable thing. Like cool we all have fat. So what are we now all fat? Because we all have fat. We all have to some extent a store of energy. But that store is changeable. And will change throughout your life. And once you get out of this fixed mindset. Which I think is reinforced by people calling themselves a perfectionist or saying their type A personality or being read on a personality test. I think that just encourages that fixed mindset. Once you're aware that you can change, then you can if you choose to. And that's completely up to the person. So for example, like, could my friend still be amazingly friendly and have all of the qualities that I love about her, but be better at timekeeping if she wanted to? Yes. But it's important to point out that that's if she wanted to, if that was of value to her. I think the problem comes when you try and change someone else. So that is definitely not what I'm suggesting you do. Like You manage your own shadow. So you might see that some of your traits are positive and if you manage them well, they don't need to have a negative side or you can reduce the negative side. In the same way that I can identify... The shadow side of perfectionist tendencies and avoid them and i think that it's important to realize that the things that make you successful can also be a negative if they're not well managed so for example those perfectionist traits if unmanaged can lead to procrastination or worse can lead to eating disorders in some individuals, if not managed. Essentially because you're trying to control things that shouldn't be controlled. And the joy of life is its unpredictability and the joy of imperfect action. I feel like it's such a relief when you realise that you don't need to be perfect, that you don't need to aim for perfect, and actually that you will get far, far, far better results embracing imperfect action plus kind of looping back to what i started with you will enjoy those results more because you're not holding them up against this imperfect ideal which doesn't even exist if you become too obsessed with controlling things and things being quote unquote perfect you will miss out on a lot and an extreme example of that would be an eating disorder and I know that there are many combining reasons and risk factors but part of it is this perfectionist mindset and this need for control. It really comes back to my favourite graph (laughs) which is the inverted U graph and almost everything fits on it really like training cool a little bit is amazing and you'll get massive benefits from doing a little bit. And then the benefits get less and less the more and more you do, they start to plateau and then you do too much and it becomes a negative. The same with being ambitious, being a little bit ambitious compared to no ambition, huge benefit. But the more and more ambitious you get, and I'm gonna talk about this in the next podcast, the cost benefit of that, the higher the cost and the lower the benefit until it sort of plateaus at the top and then it becomes a negative. Even introspective work, which I am quite clearly quite a big advocate of, that can be overdone to the extent that you spend too much time thinking and not enough time taking actions, aka paralysis by analysis. Basically, with almost anything in life, some of, some, some of something is good. This is the most inarticulate way of putting this across, but even if something is good, too much of it is no longer good you can have too much of a good thing and most things do amazingly fit on this inverted u where some has a huge benefit and the cost of that is quite small in terms of the potentially the effort you put in in terms of the results you're going to get from that effort and then that plateaus around the top and then it starts to be a negative negative. and however you want to think about that graph like training is quite an easy way to think about it but the same is true for like control over your diet like cool well maybe some control is better like a bit more mindful eating then you plateau at the top and then you start becoming obsessed with my Fitness pal start developing more disordered eating type tendencies start to develop a bit of a fear of food that's obviously on the negative side and that's coming down the way <laughs> on the other side of the slope you never want to get to the other side of the slope and for some behaviors you probably don't even want to get to the plateau You probably want to be, depending on your values at the time, on the way up. So that for every effort you're putting in, the reward completely outweighs the effort. Anyway, I'm now verging on the topic of the next podcast. So I will wrap up here. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do tag me in your stories. I love seeing that. Please do rate the podcast, review the podcast. Like the podcast, share the podcast, you know, all the the good stuff. And I also think this podcast is just quite an interesting discussion point about there being shadows to success and shadows to or weaknesses to your strengths. I think it's quite an interesting concept that a lot of people still are in this ingrained mindset that something is inherently good or inherently bad and that you have good traits and bad traits. And I don't think that's true. I actually think most of your good traits have bad sides and if not managed properly can have negative impacts on other areas of your life.